Hey, this is the last coffee house. Guess what we're talking about today? Back to literature. We haven't done that in a while. So, we've got English author Malcolm Lowry, Under the Volcano. This is best literature, the 100 that we're trying to make our way through. We have done so many nonfiction books in a row. <laughs> There's just a lot of things to learn out there. But now we're hopping back on some of the fiction. This was published in 1947. I think the guy only wrote two novels, actually, and this one he wrote over the course of like 10 years or more, and he would eventually die of alcoholism, so that will be significant as we go along in this book, and it's kind of nice to get a reprieve from, <laughs> from having to worry so much about political stuff. We've been talking a lot of political stuff lately, and I think we had a book on the Third Reich, so it's kind of nice to have a reprieve from that and just uh, be able to dive into somebody's self-destructive and ultimately suicidal alcoholism. So, <laughs> see, I need to read a children's book or something. Okay, what's the content of this book? It's about an alcoholic British console in a, console in a small Mexican town on the Day of the Dead. So it's kind of a cool little setting there. I mean, anything that's set in the Day of the Dead is kind of awesome, even though that Coco movie... I know people just want to generally say, oh, it's a good movie. It's absolutely horrendously written. It's horrendously written. I can't emphasize that enough. It's so bad. That and Moana have some of the worst plotting and worst structure and all that stuff that you that is imaginable. Anyway, so, <laughs> set in the Day of the Dead, that's pretty cool. The way that it's written, so chapter one's like a year after the events, so it's like jumping to the end. You see this in movies a lot. You jump to the end, you get some stuff, and then it goes back to the beginning and, and starts from there. But the rest of the rest of the chapters pretty much happen over one day. And you've got different people's perspectives. I think somebody described it as it's different consciousnesses are the source for different chapters. But so you got different perspectives, shifting perspectives. You have the alcoholic character who's the consul and he has some marriage issues with his wife Yvonne. There are like hallucinations and memories and imaginary dialogues and interactions that go on. At a certain point, he says he loves, like is in love with a bottle of whiskey. Then you've got Hugh, which is another character, I think like the half-brother of the main character, and you get his perspective at a certain point. There's a horse-riding date, some biblical imagery, you know, talk of Adam and Eve and snakes and things. Got some drunk visions and waking up in a blackout. So much of the book, you know, it's this imaginary alcoholic landscape kind of a situation <laughs> where you have a lot of symbology throughout and weird imagery and, and that kind of thing. But it's really an exploration of this alcoholism and, you know, you have some character stuff going on between the characters, but it's really that kind of exploration of alcoholism. You've got a bull fight. Oh, the bull is reluctant at this point. More imagery, like there's a Solanophilia and uh, constellations, names of constellations make it in there. And then you get back to the console's point of view, and you get a really cheery conclusion. So that's, <laughs> I've only read it once, and I actually read it a little while ago, so I, I'm not going to go super deep into plot or character or anything like that. Because it's probably going to take a good three or four readings to really get this stuff down, these books down, <laughs> and have a really good grasp on what they're actually trying to do. We've got some quotes here to get an idea of the writing style. Quote, I have no house, only a shadow, but whenever you are in need of a shadow, my shadow is yours. End quote. Quote, now you see what kind of creatures we are, Hugh, eating things alive. That's what we do. How can you have much respect for mankind or any belief in the social struggle? End quote. Now these I had to look up. I didn't have good quotes from my reading <laughs> of the book. 
Quote, I've resisted temptation for two and a half minutes at least. My redemption is sure, end quote. And just to get an idea, here's a, a longish one. So you really see the kind of style. Quote, yes, it struck her now that this whole business of the bull was like a life. The important birth, the fair chance, the tentative, then assured, then half despairing circulations of the ring. An obstacle negotiated, a feat improperly recognized, boredom, resignation, collapse. Then another, more convulsive birth, a new start, the circumspect endeavors to obtain one's bearings in a world now frankly hostile, the apparent but deceptive encouragement of one's judges, half of whom were asleep, the swervings into the beginnings of disaster because of that same negligible obstacle one had surely taken before out of stride. The final enmeshment in the toils of enemies one was never quite certain, weren't friends, more clumsy than actively ill-disposed, followed by disaster, capitulation, disintegration, end quote. So just based on that, I mean, you can really see the overriding aspect, <laughs> and you can really see how much has to be done to be able to earn the ability to be able to write lines that are supposed to have that much densely packed in, or lack of traditional you know, structure and idea and and all that sort of thing. So I think you could see where where this author went, and it was likely over the course of the 10 years, it's like you get deeply into your own mythology, so you can say whatever you want. <laughs> Uh, because it's all built in your brain, but for a reader, it doesn't necessarily have the kind of meaning that it needs to have, you know, as as you're reading it. Anyway, those are some quotes. So we've got some to move into the analysis. Time magazine called it, quote, vertiginous picture of self-destruction seen through the eyes of a man still lucid enough to report to us all the harrowing particulars, end quote. And then another reviewer who really liked it says here in explanation, Quote, Lowry, with significant editorial help from his second wife Marjorie, spent almost 10 years writing and revising Volcano, the book not really changing in length, but becoming an ever thicker forest of symbols. And this phrase from Baudelaire was of signal importance to Lowry, who had the console quoted in an earlier draft of the novel. So that's Chris Power from The Guardian, so a forest of symbols. And it kind of reads like that. You know, for a lot of people, when they read a particular book, they need a through line that they can hold on to. You know, it's like a zip line that'll take you through. And you can look around at the other stuff, the thematics, the, the symbology, all those kinds of ideas that are coming in, philosophy, etc. But you need the zip line to keep you going along. <laughs> that makes sense, that's straightforward. And I think the best kind of books are written that way. That you can still enjoy it just for the mere pleasure, you know, slighter pleasure of just being able to join, enjoy the structure and enjoy the writing and all that, all that sort of thing. So it makes it a little less accessible and a little less meaningful long term. It's not something that really, it didn't stick with me, you know, after I'd read it. Uh, another one from this, I think, power still. Quote, a common complaint is that Volcano is overwritten, and in places that's undoubtedly true. So one of the internal quotes that he has from the book here. Hugh put one foot up on the parapet and regarded a cigarette that seemed bent like humanity on consuming itself as quickly as possible. So that's a quote from the book. And back to the writer of this, this chunk. Is one of several lines likely to produce the wrong sort of gasp, but occasional slips like this are, I believe, an almost unavoidable byproduct of such fervid writing and are anomalies amid writing of arresting power and beauty. In a letter of 1950, Lowry said of the writing process that after a while it began to make noise like music. When it made the wrong noise, I altered it. When it seemed to make the right one, finally, I kept it. This approach results in a book that, as the journalist D.T. Max has noted, risks everything at every moment. End quote. So you can appreciate that at least, <laughs> you know, perpetual risk. 
And just to go back to that line, I mean, you could see there's a kind of overdoneness, you know, an overstepping of where you are philosophically or with the characters or whatever in, in that note about the cigarette seemed bent like humanity on consuming itself as quickly as possible. That's something you really have to be able to build in thematically to get away with that sort of a line. So this person, and I think it's right when I was going through it too, that not all those moments, and there are too many of them, and they're not earned, you know, in a lot of cases. So just overall, it had a Ulysses vibe without the discipline, you know, it's it obviously it takes place on one day. It's got the numerology thing of twelve. It has twelve chapters, and apparently it's supposed to have like twelve hours or happen over twelve hours. But they really like the number twelve, which is a big number just in general when it comes to humanity. You know, twelve apostles or whatever, and twelve months of the year, and all sorts of that stuff comes up in Christian iconography. But so, like I said, when I read it, it didn't particularly stick out to me. It might be too limited in scope plot-wise, and overly interested in symbology. They got built in over those 10 years of going back and just building in this symbology. It might have been overly dependent upon that instead of on, you know, bigger structures and bigger philosophical ideas and, and that sort of thing. So, so overall, it'll be something that I might have to readdress. And that's one thing I might do once I get through all the lists that we're going through. Uh, when I come back, I might just do a reread of the ones that really stuck out so we can really get a, a good idea of what's going on in those books. But overall, it's an entrant, you know, uh, some kind of a, a narrative destruction that's really talking about somebody who was being destroyed by alcoholism and ultimately was, and this is kind of how they feel about it, I guess. But it, it's an addition, and it's a unique perspective in the midst of, you know, all the stuff that we're, we're reading about here. So, so that's Under the Volcano, Malcolm Lowry, and this was Best Literature, and this is The Last Coffee House. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>